Welcome to the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place to experience a grace that heals. Allow this grace to take your life and your relationships to another level as it frees you from the weight of performance-based religion. Enjoy another episode as Joel Groh and Lynn Wilder share encouraging stories and candid dialogue that can help you experience a grace that heals. Hi, and welcome to the Unveiling Grace podcast. We are so glad you've joined us for another episode. I'm Joel Grote. And I'm Lynn Wilder. And oh boy, am I excited about this one. Um, Michael and my lives have intertwined a couple of times over the years, and I'm just blown away by what God does. This is Michael Flournoy, and Michael just wrote a book called Falling Into Grace that I just finished. And so we're going to ask Michael about his journey, and then we want him to talk a little bit about his book. His beautiful wife is by his side, Brianna. <laughs> Welcome, Michael and Brianna. We are so delighted to have you on the podcast. We're excited to be here. Thank you. <laughs> So, Michael, we probably should let the audience know how how it is that we know each other. Huh? I actually read Michael's book in 2014 called A Biblical Defense of Mormonism. Does I that remember tell that you? Book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times. Yeah, I, uh, I was trying so hard to defend the LDS church. I'd come across a lot of... Uh, evangelical Christians on my mission and firsthand I come to know the arguments and and I believe that that everything that they thought about our faith was just wrong and somebody needed to correct them and that person was me and so I wrote this book thinking I was going to change the world somehow and it actually just ended up getting me attention from people that wanted to debate me and and I ended up uh, having I guess we had a mutual friend that set us up to uh, to debate each other <laughs> on a podcast. Certainly was not my idea. I do not think of myself as a debater. I don't like to do that stuff. And I felt a little kind of backed into a corner. I'm not even sure how much. Wait a second. So you were invited to debate Lynn Wilder on a podcast. Oh, this is. Out of London. (laughs) This was Christian radio. Unbelievable. Um, Out of London. It's called Unbelievable Radio. And so I was actually in London at the time and Michael was in Texas. And because I knew we were going to be talking for an hour, I didn't even like to think of it as debating. I read his book. And so Michael and I talked on the radio about his book for about an hour. That is so amazing. Well, Michael, I can't think of anybody that if I were LDS, I'd rather have a conversation with than Lynn. I mean, just because she is so winsome and so gentle and so loving. So what, how did that end up then? I'm sorry, you say, how did the, how did yeah, the conversation? What, yeah. It was, it was really good. Uh, she definitely brought up a lot of points that made me really stop and think probably for the first time. Uh, she, because one of the things that she said was that, uh, was that Protestant Christianity was, was opposed to Mormonism. You know, the Bible was opposed to it. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure that that's not true. I I never thought of it that way. I thought that Protestantism was just uh, like the stepping stones to Mormonism. You know, we really believed the same thing. They just believed in, uh, you know, simple mathematics. And we moved on to 
uh, calculus. Calculus, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're just on a higher plane, and they'll get there one of these days. It's not opposed. I was like, what does she mean it's opposed to Mormonism? That makes no sense. But it really did make me start to think, because I never heard somebody say that before. Uh, but okay. it was it was tough because, you know, she was she was bringing out these really tough points, but she was, like you say, just so so personable and i'm like wait is this an attack or <laughs> it doesn't feel like one but i feel like i'm being attacked because this goes against my logic really hard well and as i told you i i was uncomfortable and didn't want to do it in the first place right my husband's sitting next to me feeding me all this listening to what you're saying and feeding me all these scriptures right so as you were saying things he's got scripture open in my lap going go to here Go to here. Right? <laughs> I can see Mike doing that. Yeah. I think that's cheating. I didn't have somebody <laughs> open Probably that. Right. Yeah. But it's funny because I should have realized that this was going to be tough. I was just in my head. I'm like, okay, she's she was a BYU professor. Like She's going to be really smart. But I'm like, oh, well, I have the truth on my side. And I just had this, I guess, arrogance. Like I have, I have nothing to fear from anybody, so I'm willing to talk to just about any person out there, but it ended up being something that definitely changed uh, or made me start questioning the faith. Okay. And really, just to say in your own defense, that is the posture anyone should have if they think they have the truth. If they have the truth, then they shouldn't be afraid to talk to anyone about anything. So that's a very laudable, that's a very laudable position to take on your part. And, and it looks like God used it to begin to move in your life. Yeah, I mean, for sure. One of the things I always kind of relate it to, you know, in, in my first marriage, I would, I'd like spin the, the diamond ring around on the table and, and my wife would yell at me like, stop, stop that. I'm like, what? It's a diamond. You know, you can't, it's not like I can hurt it or anything. And that's, that's right. how I viewed the truth. I'm like, I can be as rough with it as I want. And even if I'm horrible in a conversation or something, it doesn't mean that it's wrong. Like it's the truth. It can stand up for itself. It's going to make up for my weaknesses. And, and I started having family members kind of getting uh, a little defensive about things I would say online. And I'm like, why are we treating like it, it's so fragile? You know, this is the yeah. truth. So where did it go from there? Did you have any further contact with each other after this debate, after this interaction? Uh, I don't think we really did until after I came out of Mormonism. Okay, so I guess a couple years later he got a hold of me and he said, "You, you will not believe what happened to me, right?" And I think soon after that we were coming to Austin, and then we got to have dinner with Michael and his first wife. And as I recall, Michael, you had recently told her, or she was getting the hint that you were losing your Mormon faith, right? And I'm not sure if you'd given your life to Jesus at that point, but I know you'd made your decision, right? Um, yep. I uh, I actually had made, I had given my life to Christ already, and I had recently told her. And, and she okay. was not uh, happy. Yeah. She was not happy. I was having a hard time because she was, she was waking up in the middle of the night and giving me a hard time because I didn't want to give her a priesthood blessing and, and things like that. Like she was demanding that I give her blessings. I'm like, I, I can't do that. It was a really uh, compromising situation. And then when you came, I, I, I was so scared to even say anything to her. I'm like, yeah, I've got a friend that wants to meet with us. Um, she was a professor at BYU. <laughs> She's like, is this one of your anti-Mormon friends? I'm like, 
Yes. <laughs> oh. Oh man. So did you end up meeting then? We had dinner, Mike and I. And okay. Michael and his wife. Yeah, she. She was quite. I. I felt like I did everything I knew from my past, right, to love on someone who was uncomfortable or oppositional, and I'm not sure I was getting anywhere at all. You did. You actually did because we left, and she on the car ride back. She's she was saying I. Uh, I've believed in the cult my whole life. What? Yeah, but it didn't. It didn't last. Um, she ended up taking a break for a while, and she's going back now. So I don't know what happened. Somehow the cognitive dissonance got covered up again. Right. Wow. So That's for not- the sake of our listeners, I'm going to have you back up because we just made a huge jump from kind of having your whole worldview, uh, your truth challenged. That you thought you thought was diamond top could stand up to anything. Lynn challenges you. Uh, the Holy Spirit uses some of the stuff she shares, obviously, to start your thoughts going. So, tell us about that process. Tell us about going from a guy who writes a book defending Mormonism, totally convinced it's true. What does that process look like as you move then to turning your life over to Christ and recognizing that none of it's true, except obviously the things that pertaining to the Bible. And can you just kind of walk us through that story? Yeah. God tricked me. That's the short version. (laughs) (laughs) He outsmarted me, outplayed me in every way. We've been watching Lord of the Rings and I think the term is trickster, right? Yes. (laughs) So I, I was on a lot of groups on Facebook and a lot of them were for LDS apologists. And I started seeing them talking about this, new argument that I'd never heard of before called the impossible gospel argument. Somebody was saying, Hey, help, help me out with this. Can somebody give me some advice? And I felt like I could pretty much take on any argument at that point. Uh, I tend to think out of the box and come up with creative solutions. I'm like, I can do this. I'll, I'll take a look at it. And so I started watching some videos on YouTube uh, by Keith Walker. Yeah. And- Keith's a really good friend. Have We've known each other for years, worked together. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I've actually had the chance to meet him because he only lives uh, an hour or so away from us. Right. But I watched those videos and I'm like, wow, that's a really tough argument. That's probably the toughest argument that I've ever seen before because the Book of Mormon actually does say that we are saved by grace after all we can do. And so I start thinking, am I doing all that I can do? And the answer is no, well, not even close to doing all that I can do. And then it points to where I Romans 10, 32, yea, come unto Christ and be perfected in him and deny yourselves of all ungodliness. And if you shall deny yourselves of all ungodliness and love God with all your heart, mind, and strength, then is his grace sufficient for you. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's a pretty high standard to reach to uh, have the grace be sufficient. And what's wrong with that? I mean, some listeners are not going to find anything wrong with that. What's wrong with that is once you start to put it into practice— And that's what I was trying to do. So the biggest thing is I'm like, I'm going to, I can do that. You know, how hard is it to be perfect? Really? Deny myself of all ungodliness. Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll just do that then. Fine. I mean, what does it say in the book of Mormon? It says, the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, except save he shall prepare a way for them that they may accomplish the thing which he commanded them. So he wouldn't give me a commandment that I can't keep. God's not like that. So yeah. So I start striving as hard as I can to be perfect. And the harder I try, the more convicted I am of my sin. And I realize that I'm not 
anywhere close to being perfect. And I was starting to obsess over it. And to the point where no matter what I was doing, no matter how happy I was or how enjoyable of a time I was having, somewhere in the back of my mind, there's this little nagging voice saying, you aren't perfect. You're not doing all you can do. and You've not denied yourself of all ungodliness. If you die right now, you're not going to the celestial kingdom. Mm. Wow. So the Holy Spirit is really working you over. So did you kick it into higher gear? <laughs> Try harder or what happened? Of course I tried harder for a while. And then I just started kind of giving up. And I really had started studying grace. And the real, the real reason I was studying grace was because I wanted to be a more effective weapon against the Christians that I was debating online. I'm like, if me understanding this and their position better is only going to help me convert them to the church. And it was funny because I mentioned it to two people in the ward, like, I'm studying grace this year. And they both said, oh, I can't wait to hear what you learn about race. And I said, I didn't say race. I said grace. <laughs> It's like, is the G wow. silent in grace? Like, do we really not know what that is? <laughs> um, and so I, I was, didn't. Uh, as a Mormon, did you? I had no clue. And even after I read the Bible and gave my life to Jesus, Michael, it was two years later before I felt like I had an understanding of what grace was. I know it's a huge part of your testimony, but it's so antithetical to Mormonism, don't you? It, it is. And, and what really frustrated me at the beginning of my study was there's so many different LDS terms. So when I read about heaven, I'm like, wait, is this talking about the terrestrial kingdom, the celestial? Is this talking about the celestial? And then when it would say salvation, I'm like, wait, what? This, this is just, yeah. <laughs> there's too many definitions. And I'm like, this is, a, this is a problem. It's a giant maze now. And I've got to piece this all together. And I'm looking at my Christian friends and I'm like, They've got it so nice. They don't even realize. It's it's just, they all believe the same thing. It's just simple and straightforward and elegant. It's mm. just that grace saves us by itself. And I don't know when this happened, but somewhere down the line, somebody explained imputed righteousness to me for the first time. And I had just, wow. been, I had just been praying to God to give me something. Because the impossible gospel argument had me in a stranglehold. And I'm like, God, deliver me from this. Give me the answer. And somebody taught me about imputed righteousness. And I'm like, what if the righteousness required isn't mine? What if it's yeah. what if it's Christ? And and I started. Now that's kind of that's kind of a that's a real heavy theological term, imputed righteousness. So go ahead and unpack that for people who are listening. There may be, I'm sure there's probably people who are listening right now who have never heard that term before, imputed righteousness. What is that all about? So give us the nutshell definition of what imputed righteousness is and then why it impacted you so much. I'm going to explain this like I would explain it to a Latter-day Saint. This is how I explain it in real life to people. Oh, absolutely. So you know what amputation is. Yeah. And, and there's yeah. A, <laughs> it happens a lot in the Book of Mormon, so yeah. <laughs> most Latter-day Saints are familiar. <laughs> Um, so imputation, I, I say it's the opposite of amputation. So instead of taking something off of us, we're putting something on, namely the righteousness of Christ. So, you know, in Mormonism, it's a gospel of amputation because you're trying to cut off all the sin from your life in order to become worthy. But with imputation, we are putting on Christ's righteousness, and that righteousness covers us despite our sins. 
So yes, so it's righteousness that is credited to us without us deserving it or earning it. Exactly. Yep. And that's what makes it so amazing. That's what makes it so effective. We don't have to get to a level where we deserve it. It's simply given to us. I would have called that cheap grace in Mormonism, Michael. I would have called it cheap grace as well. But the problem was that there are, you know, the light shines in the darkness. And there are a couple of little places in the Book of Mormon that seem to teach imputed righteousness. So I found it there first. Because I didn't, I didn't bother going to the Bible because I'm like, well, the Book of Mormon's more important. I need to look there, and okay. and amazingly, I found it in the Book of Mormon. It's it's there. It's not. It's there's contradictory passages that go completely against it, but there are a couple of places where you can find it, and one of them that just shocks me, especially now looking back at it, is just uh, the story of Nephi and Laban. Because Nephi's trying to get the brass plates, he finds Laban and he ends up killing Laban, but then he puts on Laban's clothes and then everybody magically assumes that he's Laban and he's able to acquire what rightfully belongs to Laban. And I'm just looking at that, I'm like, this really reminds me of imputed righteousness a lot because that's how you explain it as a Christian. You know, God looks at us and, and what he sees is Christ and his righteousness, not us. And then we're able to obtain something that Christ won for us. Which is eternal life, forgiveness. Yes. So so what helped you turn the corner and go, okay, and I don't know if like with Lynn, you for also when you would first hear about grace, and that's just cheap grace. That's just, you know, how can you get something you don't deserve if you don't work for it? You're not going to value it. What was going on in your life that made the imputed righteousness so attractive? Well, well let's connect this. You found it somewhere else in the Book of Mormon as well, right? I found it in a couple of places. I also found it in Moroni 10, 33 and 32. So I'm looking at it with different lenses, you know, come unto Christ and be perfected in him. Like, wait, that sounds like imputed righteousness. You come to Christ and you're perfected in him. Verse 33, the following verse says that sanctification follows perfection. And I'm like, wait, that's not something I've ever believed in before. But it, I can read the verse if you guys want to hear it. I, I think that might be helpful yeah. for Mormons, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let me find it here real quick on the uh, LDS Gospel app, which I keep just for stuff like this. Oh, yeah, it's a very handy tool. Okay, so this is starting in verse 33. And again, if by the grace of God, if ye by the grace of God are perfect in Christ and deny, deny not his power, then... Are ye sanctified in Christ by the grace of God? Mm. And it goes on, but it says right there that if you are perfect, then you're sanctified. So it's an if-then starting with perfection. Right. And so how does one get perfection if you can't, if you know you can't be perfect yourself, which you'd already tried, then that perfection has got to come from outside you and be imputed to you. And here's the interesting thing, right? The Book of Mormon has a lot of similarities to the Bible. Would you not say, Michael? And then the later teachings, Pearl of Great Price and Doctrine and Covenants, are often opposite the Bible and even opposite the Book of Mormon in some cases, right? Absolutely, yeah. And I used to just see that as a Latter-day Saint as, oh, there was more revelation added later. It just expounds on old things. It's not contradicting. 
or anything. And yet it does. <laughs> oh, completely <laughs> right? contradicts. Right. Yeah. So was it then the fact that you'd already spent all this time striving, you tried to perfect yourself, you realize you're failing miserably, and now you encounter this imputed righteousness, which now you're going, well, you know, that sounds like the only solution. I have tried to do it myself. Sounds like Mormonism has it, right? After all. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I thought Mormonism was just fine, especially because I look at the temple and the symbolism that people are going there and they are doing work vicariously for the dead who cannot do it for themselves. And I'm like, this is another sign of an imputation right here, because that's what Christ did for us. You know, the cross was basically a temple. And and then I start reading the Bible, you know, like Hebrews chapter 10, you know, by one sacrifice, he has perfected forever them that are being sanctified. And and I see all these verses in the Bible. And I'm like, this is amazing. Just like the church says, the Book of Mormon and the Bible go hand in hand. And this just seals the deal for me. And <laughs> so God got me up to this point where I'm going back to church. I'm totally convinced that I found the truth. And I'm, I'm so amazing because I, I beat the impossible gospel argument with <laughs> imputed righteousness. No one ever would have thought of that at church and then he opens my eyes like checkmate and i'm like wait what and and then i realized like okay let me just think this through for a minute because if christ got his righteousness by going through all of the lds ordinances back in his day and then that righteousness is imputed to me why do i have to have the ordinances oh good thought oh yeah Good question. Yeah. And then I just realized I don't need to have the ordinances because he did it all for me. If Mormonism is true, therefore the church is completely unnecessary. And I think I just kind of realized real fast, I am a Christian now. I My views are aligned far more with uh, with Christianity than they are with Mormonism at this point. So do you ever try to share these these great stellar moments with your friends in the LDS church? You know, the people who said, well, you know, tell us what you find out about race. Oh, I mean, grace. Uh, <laughs> well, I remember one of those people was my bishop. Um, but ironically, they don't seem that interested in hearing the follow-up anymore because it led me out of the church. So it's not something that a lot of people are interested in anymore. If the conclusion does not point to Mormonism being true and it's not faith-promoting, then the culture just, they don't want to hear it. But know. I do try. I do try at every opportunity. Yeah. It is even my go-to. Even if it's true, right? Even if it's yeah. true, we don't want to hear it, right? So then what finally brings you, do you see a crossover point? Because when we talk with when we talk with um, either transitioning LDS people or people that have been in performance-based religious groups of any kind, for many of them, there's this place where they realize, I've just now crossed over. I've, I've been in my sin, trying to do it myself, trying to earn my way to God. And now I realize, wow, I can't. And I've accepted this imputed righteousness of Christ. I'm doing this by faith. I've taken the gift. When does that happen for you? Is there a, is there a moment? Is it a long extended process? Because it's different for everybody. I'd say that I was 90% there when I made the realization that I just told you about. Okay. Then there was just one more thing I needed to do. I'd been talking to Keith Walker online. I'd been planning to meet with him for a while and tell him why his argument didn't work. I was going to tell him that he was wrong. <laughs> his yeah. impossible gospel argument, Keith Walker. Yeah. Yes. Yes. For the audience. 
by the time I finally got around to meeting with him, it was too late. I'd already realized that he was right. Everything he was saying was true, but I, I went down and I met with him one afternoon and I'm just like, okay, tell me one more time. Just tell me how this works. So we sat there for a couple hours and, and he just shared the gospel with me. And at the end of that, I prayed and I accepted Christ into my heart. Mm. Wow. So cool. Oh man. And so, yeah, I went from being a, a Mormon apologist to just within a few months being a Christian. I mean, it was a whirlpool. God just spun me around so fast. I said, you know, son, you're pointing that, you're pointing that sword the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> but I just learned from the book that you weren't sharing much of this with your wife at the time along the way. Right. And so we have the setup for part two because we are at time for this podcast episode. I'm looking at the timer going, uh-oh, we're out of time. Oh, well, guess what? I'm guessing Michael and Brianna are going to be willing to do a part two and continue this story because but Bri I'm guessing it's really interesting relationally for you after you make this turn. Well, right? no, his first wife is gone. Brianna is also right. a former Mormon um, that they got married, met and got married about a year ago. So, okay. Yeah. So there's more to your story. Are you willing to go ahead and continue with us, do a part two, and then tell us how God's worked in your life? Yes. Yeah, I'm definitely up for that. Okay. Well, in that case, um, for all of our podcast listeners, hey, thanks for being with us on another episode. You're going to have to tune in next time for the rest of Michael's story, but we want to encourage you to do that. Lynn, any final words to our audience? Thank you so much, Michael, for talking with us. And we will talk to you again soon, I'm sure. Um, grace and peace. Until next time. So long. Thank you for listening to the Unveiling Grace podcast. Join us next time for another conversation devoted to helping your life and relationships flourish. As always, you can find show notes, program transcripts, and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com. For a limited time, we are offering the Wilder's book, Seven Reasons We Left Mormonism, for a donation of any amount. Go to unveilinggracepodcast.com and click on the free book button to request yours. We greatly appreciate your support for the Unveiling Grace podcast, where you can experience a grace that heals.